Right, hello everybody, my name is Lee Fletcher and uh, I'm a rather unusual astronomer in that actually I'm a meteorologist. I'm a weatherman and I spend most of my try time trying to understand what the weather is doing on other planets in our solar system and in fact also on planets around other stars themselves, extrasolar planets. Now I always like showing this picture to begin with. This is a scaled photograph of our entire solar system. Top left, you've got those little inner planets, the terrestrial planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth and Mars that we all know and love. But almost the rest of this screen is taken up by the outer solar system, by those giant gassy planets, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune. And those of you out there with very keen eyesight will notice that those gassy planets aren't out there by themselves. They're actually circled by what we call satellites, moons in the outer solar system. Now, each of those moons is a fascinating world in their own right for us to one day go and explore. Now, like a lot of you here, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. I still do, to be quite honest with you. But ESA said, no, you're not allowed to be an astronaut. So I figure I'm doing the next best thing. The next best thing is helping to build robotic spacecraft to send to these far-flung distant locations to teach us a little something about them so that one day when my children and my grandchildren, maybe even some of the people here in this room, get to actually see these things with their own eyes, we'll have laid that groundwork. And this talk is all about that reconnaissance, that groundwork that we were doing right now in the outer solar system. Now, we're very lucky. We live at a time where human beings, for the first time, are seeing what it might be like to walk on the surface of another world. You're familiar with the image on the far right over here, which is just an image that you would get if you were to stand looking out to sea on any shoreline on a lovely blue sky day. The image just here was taken by the Apollo astronauts when they visited the moon. Now... 40 years ago, which I think is a very sad thing. We can talk more about that uh, later on. But the image of Venus, an image of Mars, and an image of Titan, which is a moon of Saturn, the only moon in our solar system with a thick, smoggy atmosphere. And all of these images don't look that alien after all. The colours might look slightly strange, but that's just because of the way that the light is being filtered through this atmosphere. But these are surfaces that we can almost recognise you could think of the surface of Venus as cracked up clay-like soil that might have been baked in a desert somewhere. The surface of Mars might not look out of place if you were hiking in Arizona or the Grand Canyon or somewhere like that. The surface of Titan, bizarrely enough, is an ancient riverbed. It's a riverbed but not formed by the flow of water over the surface of Titan. It's formed by the flow of liquid methane. Methane fulfills the role that water has on this planet. Water, we have water clouds, we have water lakes, we have water rivers. On Titan, we have lakes and seas of methane as a liquid. It is an alien environment, but it's something that we can start to, to understand. I think that's quite a wonderful thing. Now, no talk about robotic recon would be complete without the most audacious, most ambitious mission ever to fly to the surface of Mars. This thing that's currently roving over the sands of Mars is the size of a car. It's nuclear-powered. It has a laser beam that it uses to drill into rocks to try and figure out what they're made of. It's an extremely exciting mission. And you know when you go on holiday anywhere, the first thing that you do these days is you get your camera and you 
Take a photograph of yourself on the surface. That's exactly what Mars Curiosity was doing. You can see its robot arm coming out just here. It was literally holding up its camera and saying, cheese, I've arrived, human beings. Now, it's going to be going for at least two years, and it's headed in this direction, generally. It's going up the wall of a crater. And as we go up that crater wall, we're effectively going forwards in time. Can you see all the striations and stripes just there? Those are different sediments laid down on the surface of Mars over many hundreds of thousands of years. And by going upwards out of the rim of this crater, we're going from the distant past at the bottom to the very close uh, geological time up at the, the rim of this crater itself. So watch this space. The next couple of years for Martian exploration is going to be tremendously exciting. Most of my time is spent working with this $3.5 billion spacecraft. It may not look like much, but the real thing is about seven meters long. Its telephone that it uses to send its information back to Earth is four meters long. It has a huge suite of instrumentation on it, which is looking at the Saturnian system. This spacecraft has been there for about nine years now, still working flawlessly, which is a miracle in itself. It's exploring the planet, it's exploring the rings of Saturn, and it's exploring the icy moons themselves, Titan being one of them. Now, I want to show you some of the latest things that we've got from this spacecraft. On the right-hand side just here was an image taken by a probe which landed on the surface of Titan. Now, this was an incredible thing. This is a billion kilometers away, and yet human beings and engineers had the capability to land a, space, uh, a spacecraft on the surface of this, this moon. These are images taken by the cameras as that spacecraft was descending, looking out across mountain ranges, across river networks. In fact, if I go to the next slide, you can see just here, these are rivers draining down into a plain, and we actually landed on this plain where the, the methane rivers had, had all um, spread out and, and, and deposited their material. One of the most exciting things about our exploration of Titan was that for the first time in history, we have discovered seas or lakes on another body in our solar system. At the moment, or until recently, the Earth was the only place where we had standing bodies of liquid water. On the top left just there, those are images of hydrocarbon lakes at the North Pole of Titan. This is a bit like liquid natural gas, so it's a combination of methane and ethane in a gungy sort of liquid on the surface. This image taken by Cassini, believe it or not, is light reflecting and glinting off the surface of that lake seen from orbit. We caught that little flash of light as the sunlight reflected off it. So this begs the question of when will we go there to actually sail the Titanian seas? There are concepts out there which are viable, that we could actually afford to do, if the willpower was there, to send a lander to one of these Titanian seas. We know that over a course of a day, it would bob along across the sea, maybe covering a kilometre or so, being able to take photographs back of the shoreline of the hills and the mountain ranges there on Titan. How exciting would that be to actually get that sort of mission flown? Moving to Saturn now, this is an image that came back from the Cassini spacecraft back in November. This is the north pole of Saturn, and what you're seeing is a bit like a plug hole. This is the top of a huge planetary-wide circulation system with air rising at the equator and sinking back down at the poles. So imagine if you're looking at your plug, you see swirling material going around the plug hole and then sinking down, into, down the drain. That's what you're seeing at the north pole of Saturn. It's a giant swirling hurricane. And what I love about this image is you can see all the individual clouds and their shadows, all as they're swirling around 
the North Pole up there. Now, we would like... Europeans have never sent a mission themselves to the giant planet Jupiter. So myself and a team of about 20 others put together the scientific rationale for why we might want to do that. And the European Space Agency have given us the money to proceed. Now, don't get your hopes up. These are long-term things. We won't launch this mission for another 10 years, and it won't get to Jupiter until the 2030s. Okay? So it's going to take a while for us to do it. But it will be worth its while. And the reason is because we're not actually looking at Jupiter. We're looking at the icy moons of Jupiter. From Io, the volcanically active moon, uh, sending jets of uh, sulfurous material up into a very tenuous atmosphere, Europa is extremely exciting. We believe it's got a crust which is about 10 kilometers thick. This is an ice crust. And beneath that crust, there may be liquid uh, oceans, so oceans of water. Now, if you have liquid, if you have energy, if you have a source of chemicals, and if you have longevity, if you have stable conditions over long time periods, it might, just might, be right for life to exist in that briny ocean underneath the crust of Europa. So that's something where we must go in the near future. Ganymede, the largest moon of our solar system, and Callisto. Callisto is special because we don't believe its surface has changed over the eons since it formed in the first place. It's just been continually battered and scarred by bombardments from meteorites and asteroids over the course of its history. So it's one of the most ancient surfaces in our whole solar system. So this mission that we came up with will go to Jupiter, but it will explore these diverse collection of worlds. And watch this space. Another 20 years, you'll see some of the first results coming back from this space probe. Is that a time-up thing? <laughs> right. Oh, that's your, your phone. <laughs> I see. OK. Back in the late 1980s, Voyager 2 became the first and last spacecraft to ever visit what we call the ice giants. This is Uranus and Neptune. Now, I will forgive you if you think that this image is a little bit boring, OK? Because we expected to see, a bit like Jupiter, we thought we'd see clouds, we thought we'd see storms. Voyager counted a whopping 10 clouds on the surface of Uranus. Now, there is a reason, OK? We can actually use different wavelengths of light to peer through the cloudy, smoggy layers that are preventing us from seeing anything here. The image I'm going to show you now was only released six months ago. It's humankind's best image we've ever received of Uranus. There it is. That's a little bit more exciting, isn't it? There's a few more details in that image. You're starting to see the same striped structure as you see on something like Jupiter. You can see the little white flashes just there. Those are individual storms cropping up, cumulus clouds, if you like, cropping up in the Uranian atmosphere. So this is somewhere that's suddenly becoming exciting to us, and we're doing this with large ground-based telescopes here on Earth. Now, it's no substitute for going and visiting these places with these robotic spacecraft, but it is giving us some heads up about what the conditions are like just there. Now, Neptune is the furthest planet from the sun, if you ignore poor old Pluto, which got demoted a few years ago. Bizarrely enough, Neptune has the most active weather systems of any planet in our solar system. Every night we look, the clouds appear to have changed and evolved again. And because it's so far from the sun, it's actually not the sunlight that's powering these weather, these weather systems. Instead, we believe it's Neptune's internal energy, literally energy that was left over from when Neptune formed many billions of years ago, slowly being radiated away and causing these dynamic weather systems to evolve. So I would hope that this was the last time we saw Neptune was in 1989. I would hope that before this century is out, 
we'll get another mission flying to the ice giants to explore them in much more depth. I wanted to wrap up this talk with a brief mention about Pluto, because this is something you're going to get excited about, believe me, in the next three years or so. This is our best image of Pluto right now. That's all we know about it, those, those faint smudges of possibly coloured materials across the surface of Pluto. This was taken by the Hubble Space Telescope. So we have launched a mission called New Horizons to go to the Pluto system to see it for the very first time. And it will reach Pluto in 2015. When it gets there, it will give us our first images of what the surface of this rather strange, what we call a dwarf planet, looks like. But there's a problem. And we've only just discovered this problem. Pluto, believe it or not, has moons. It has five moons that we know about. And these are images that are very, very hard to get with something like the Hubble telescope. But it is possible to do it. Because we didn't expect them to be there, we didn't plan our trajectory with New Horizons to, to avoid them. And if we're barreling along at many kilometers a second, even the smallest speck of material would be curtains for this particular mission. So we do have a problem. The engineers are there scratching their heads, trying to figure out what they're going to do about this to make sure that that spacecraft is safeguarded. Because after 2015, we'd like to keep on going with this spacecraft and look at other objects that are out there in the outer solar system that may be beyond our imagination right now. Of course, I would love to see over the next few years, and uh, there's lots of kids here in the room today, you might be the ones putting this, these sorts of missions together. These are really ambitious ideas to fly balloons on Titan, to fly aeroplanes over the surface of Mars, aeroplanes that could take photographs of the surface just like we do here on Earth. How about going to Saturn's rings and scooping up some material to bring it back? How about landing a probe on the surface of Europa, melting down through the ice, and then swimming in that big ocean uh, on, in Europa itself? There's lots of scope for great ideas. It's just the fun money to, to get us there that we lack. I wanted to leave you with what I think is the most incredible image to come out of robotic space exploration in the history of robotic space exploration. You are in the shadow of Saturn in this image. You see a small glint in the bottom left just there, that's sun setting over the cloud tops of Saturn and being refracted through the upper levels of the atmosphere. But that's not the most incredible thing about this image. You can see all of these multitude of rings around the planet Saturn. Most of them are only visible to the naked eye uh, because they're very thick, they're thick material. But all these tenuous, dusty ones are revealed when you're in Saturn's shadow, when you're in nighttime on Saturn. But even that isn't the most amazing thing about this image. The most amazing thing about this image is that tiny little dot. Would anybody like to tell me what that little dot is? You've stolen my punchline, but thank you very much anyway. Everything you know and love, all of human history, everything we've ever done is there on those few pixels nestled in the rings of Saturn. A spacecraft that was built by human beings is now a billion kilometers away and has the capability to turn around and look back and see our home planet on just a few pixels. So robotic space exploration is not just telling us about these distant alien places. It's telling us a little bit more about what it's like to be here on planet Earth. So with that, I'll leave it and open it up to any questions you might have. <laughs>